0: Hello, sir. I just said to you, I'm not going to do the insincere thing and say hello again, but I'm going to say hello again. How the devil are you? How was it was my bay? You went to, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I was out there for five days at the start of the month.
0: Was that just? Is that was that pleasure business? Was that?
1: Uh, it was. It was a bit of both. So oh. the actual the actual Limitless Entrepreneur event was on Saturday and the Sunday. Um. So. The all of us, the the mentors, we were discussing when we were flying out. Some of us were getting there Friday evening. Some were going to be there Friday morning. And then James was like, "I'm going to get there Thursday morning." And I was just like, "It's <laughs> a really fucking good idea." <laughs> um, so I actually changed my flight so that I got out there Thursday morning because then it just gave me two days, yeah, to essentially just relax a little bit but spend some time with with the lads. Yeah, I did the weekend and then I flew back on the Monday afternoon.
0: Oh, nice, nice little mini break. That's the hard thing, though. Like any kind of event is that as much as you make a concerted effort to catch up with people, when you're caught up in doing stuff, you you find the weekend just runs away from you. So yeah, you're it's like around people, but you don't actually ca- catch up with them.
1: Yeah, it's like at the Fit Expo, we caught each other for what ten minutes.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: And then you're like, right, I'll you know, I'll I'll speak to you later, and then you don't because you can try and make your way to speak to someone and you'll see somebody else. If you chat with them for 10 minutes, go, right, I've got to go, because I just need to go. And then you'll see somebody else, and you're yeah. just like, right, it's taking me an hour to get across.
0: And those occasions are so few and far between. The yeah. best intent in the world is you just don't get a chance to catch up with people, which one of the, one of the main reasons I you to have this chat. Like, I know we speak in the inboxes and stuff like that, and we have a catch-up in person, but, you know, as a man with some, one of the more self-aware people, I think, out there, without blowing too much smoke I, you know i'm beyond all that stuff but um <laughs> we can kind of delve into that because i kind of just full transparency with this podcast there's no like a real intent behind it it's like a little passion project it's not about p- getting people on to offer the most value as possible although people will naturally do that i think but just having interesting conversations with people i would naturally like to just have a catch up with and i think we'll get some interesting stuff that come out of it so
2: yeah.
0: if you don't mind me asking we're going to go back way back when but I always think the interesting thing about this self-awareness conversation is you almost need an element of being a bit self-aware
2: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> to make a a concerted effort to go through this introspective, sometimes uncomfortable process. When was, I guess, your first little inkling in terms of, this is something I feel has been of real benefit to me. I've had some blind spots. How can I help others explore this a little bit more? Because I found it so beneficial.
1: Mm. Um, you know, this is, actually, this is a question that Elliot Wise asked me um, last time I was at his, because he said you are one of the more self-aware people that I know. He was like, when did that start? And like I said to Elliot, like, truth be told, I really kind of started to become a lot more self-aware when I was 14, which is very early days. But high school is a popularity contest, essentially, isn't it? It's just that that is what it is for the majority of people. And I kind of, I got to a point and I thought, what does it fucking matter? Because I knew, as I start starting year 10, I was just like, well, realistically, the talk of GCSEs, et cetera, starts, and as soon as that starts, you, you, your concept of the end of high school is immediately brought forward. And you're just like, right, the next two years, which are going to go like that, high school's done with. And I thought, probably 80% of the people that I'm around right now, I might never see again. Because if they don't go to sixth form, or they don't go to whichever college I do end up going to, I probably won't see them very often at all. Mm. And that, ultimately, that is what happened. And then after college ended, and everybody else went off to uni, I didn't see anybody. So And that, that the, my perception of that kind of picked up at the start of year 10. So that changed the way that I conducted myself. Yeah. Which then meant,
0: right? Year 10 is like 15. You're moving into
1: 14, 15, and then year 11 is 15, 16. Um, But that then altered the way that those last two years of high school played out for me because I could go into any social group. I could go into, you know, everybody kind of, you get their own little clicks, don't they? Mm. Well, I could kind of migrate from one to the next, to the next, to the next seamlessly with no issue and it was because i wasn't in one of them mm. i didn't belong to a group of people i was just me doing me things yeah and because i was uh, i was of that nature it just gave me the capacity to be able to move between them and i suppose i've never really lost that i've yeah. never i've never um yearned for the the approval or the acceptance of a specific group of people do you find that like made-
0: quite an adaptive thing that being a chameleon going from one group to another is that the, through the realization i guess because it was coming to an eventual end or was that just the ease at being just you and actually naturally if, if you're accepted within those great if you're not that's great as well
1: yeah so what you just said then the term that you just used is a term that i use with clients and i refer to it as the chameleon effect only i mean it differently than what you do Okay, Because your your perception is to be able to go from group to group to group, you need to chameleon into that group, almost kind of fit their mold and then go to the next one and fit their mold. I didn't, I was just me in their group. Mm. Whereas the chameleon effect is what I refer to with my clients where almost naturally, we all have a uh, adaptive personality dependent on the people that were around. So if you were around your mum and dad, you would probably conduct yourself differently than if you were out with friends that you've met through social media. And if you were with friends that you've become friends with through social media, or you were with friends from high school, you'd be slightly different version of Dan because they know a different version of you. You know, from a past life when you've had colleagues, if you were out catching up with them, it might be a slightly different version. So we have this chameleon effect where we're not the same person regardless of which social group we're in. Hmm. And I would say to clients, because the, I would say the vast, vast majority of them all nod in agreement. They go, yeah, that's true. If I'm with my best friends, I'm different than if I'm with colleagues, yeah. than if I'm with family, if I'm with friends, if I'm with a partner. And so what would you? who would you be if all of those groups, for whatever reason, ended up coming together and they're all in the same place? Yeah,
0: I Which think per- for me, yeah, that's a great question. I think that's a really interesting question because you're right. I think most most people would perhaps be a different version i don't know whether does that come through self-awareness or does that just come with age and wisdom which naturally comes a bit self-awareness well, as well.
1: my point is with self-awareness that stops mm. because i don't do that i am just me regardless of who i'm with
0: yeah likewise i think that's come with age though because a lot of what you said in terms of filling into certain social groups well, whether it's for like, for safety, whether it's for acceptance, cool. whether whatever it is, it's a bit of a social, as you say, a bit of a social status game in, in my school. It's essentially survival. I was a much larger yeah. kid, so it was, for me, it was survival because, you know, if I wasn't accepted within that, that was the potential of ridicule or bullying. So it was just often changing myself to appease those people, I, probably what we get onto as well, especially with masculinity and how it's framed in a, a classic male archetype framework now, I think if you've been exposed to a certain masculine identity growing up a lot of men accept parts of that but also force themselves into part of that and now with this new wave narrative of I say new wave narrative but the acceptance that is there's elements of masculine and feminine in men and women in that people are I guess being prompted and coerced to explore the idea and be at ease with things that would typically be associated with being more feminine so being vulnerable being open and honest with your feelings and things like that but that is quite abstract to someone that has led their life as a chameleon and always wanted to fit in because fitting in has meant acceptance and not being socially rejected in some shape or form
1: hmm. yeah I mean one one thing that I do I think it's obviously with me starting the male support network and a lot of the conversations that I have with men within that and ones that want to come in is that one of the issues that we've got is that this this push for men adopting more feminine personality traits and uh, you know uh, emotional constructs is that it's not that that is inherent in men it's that it's being introduced as it should be as if mm. not being like that is a flaw, yes. But the problem is, is that men don't need to be emotional. Men need emotional control because that is actually the way that men have always been. And that doesn't mean that crying is you being out of control. It doesn't mean that that is you being emotional. But that's the way that it's being presented now. Hmm. So it's almost like the word emotional is being used to encompass everything that isn't like being stoic.
0: And yeah, the problem is... it's of stiff upper lip.
1: Yeah. So like stoicism for a man, is, it, it, it's a great foundation to have, but it's having the understanding that if you do become sad about something, if you do cry over something, that there isn't anything inherently wrong with that, but you do it and then you move on. You don't do it and dwell in it. But one of the issues that I've got is that there's an awful lot of the content, content that's being produced at the moment. I would say the majority of content that's being produced, that's being aimed at men, to try to promote this more emotional side, vulnerability, et cetera, that is actually just the content that is produced for women, and it's just having men stuck over the, the, the label where it used to say for women. But men men's minds and women's minds aren't the same. So a feminine energy in a man is different than feminine energy in a woman because men don't think the same. We don't react the same. We don't handle emotions the same. And that's one of the biggest issues, because I've had men come to me that have been wrapped up in this five to six year long push for men to be more emotional, to be more feminine, to be more vulnerable, etc. And they're just fucking lost. Mm. They actually feel worse for it because it's made them feel weak, because it's almost like in order to achieve the feminine model that's being presented, they've had to denounce the masculine, almost as if it's a one or the other. Because one thing that I really, really dislike is that the whole toxic, toxic masculinity topic, if you look at the, the, the traits, the attributes of a man that are deemed to be toxic, it is all the things that are inherent within men. Mm. So aggressiveness, sexual desire, sexual preferences, competitiveness, things like that, those are the things that I've got, have been branded toxic. So yeah. men that naturally conform, and it's not even conforming, just men that naturally live through that pathway feel like they can't, like they're doing, so, I can't remember which one of my clients it was that said it to me. It might have been Ben, said that he feels like he's doing something wrong.
0: Yeah, an imposed failure of sorts.
1: When he hasn't done anything wrong. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, well, this, this situation happened, it's because of toxic masculinity, and then those behaviours are attributed to it, and he expresses those. He mm. has those, he feels those. And what's actually happening is a lot of men are closing up more than they're opening up because who do you go to and talk to about the fact that you do have that natural aggression?
0: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And you know what's fascinating about this, I was reintroduced to it uh, quite recently over the last six months and I spoke to a psychologist, nice-ish psychologist. I don't know whether you're familiar with him on podcast. Dan is his name, but you know, due to the work, he's a forensic psychologist. So due to his work, he's often appears anonymous, so I know he does share his first name, so that's enough. But he introduced me to this this phrasing around concept creeping, and when we have these strict binary descriptions of stuff, you know, whether that is misogyny, whether that is misandry, or, you know, essentially this expands over time, so they become something they weren't originally described as. So a lot of the things that you describe there, which are just inherent traits, and both men and women display those things, have where it's been broadened within this concept creep, they have now fallen in within like toxic I'm doing air quotations to anyone listening to this as a podcast whereas I for one I don't think help, toxic is a helpful descriptor of any shape or form like mm-hmm. we can acknowledge that there are toxic men and toxic women yeah. and almost within this conversation I think look we can acknowledge there is plenty of misogyny out there there is plenty of that that can be unhelpful but also I think within the discussion of that is given permission to almost there be commonplace misandry at times which is you know just as rife at the moment and I do think it's a a troubling tricky period for men because they don't necessarily feel they can vocalize these things so within this this idea of concept creep and um, assertiveness aggressiveness competitiveness I don't think they were really within what was described as the classic male archetype of you know which is bred out of like beating up women treating just just being a crap human which you could class as male or female but where this concept creep creep thing has come in and these other terms have been brought into it when people say toxic man toxic men are aggressive I think aggressive is just uh, you know depending on the context they use it and it can be an attribute right you know I have to be aggressive for jujitsu. you know yeah. Whether you're in the gym, lifting, you have to be a certain amount of ag- aggressive. You know, there are positives to that. And I think when we talk about even like angry men, anger is something that everyone displays, right? And I think anger gets a bit of a bad rep. And it's when you associate anger with violence. So, yeah, okay, we can acknowledge violence against other people isn't something we necessarily encourage. But you can be angry without being violent. And yeah. again, within this concept creeped is everything just gets thrown in with each other. And where it becomes everyday used terminology, people throw it out there. It leaves you scratching your head a little bit. And if you don't have this awareness of the conversation, which is why I'm so grateful to you to have this today, is you can be left really confused by it.
1: One thing that it's done most than anything is it's isolated an awful lot of men that have done absolutely nothing wrong. So it's like what you said a, a, a little while ago, is that it's the... I can't remember the exact, the exact phrasing, so I'm going to butcher it a little bit, but it was just the things that, it's the things that are labelled as toxic. So, you know, if a, a man that exhibits behaviours that is deemed as toxic masculinity, that automatically means like, right, well, he was being aggressive and that's toxic. Therefore, all aggression is toxic. Hmm. And any man that displays aggression is therefore a toxic man. That's one of the problems. It's been that there, there will be a small subset of men that actually fit into the, the, the what would be the confines of toxic masculinity if it was actually defined with a very specific labeling, which at the moment it hasn't been. Mm-hmm. But it's that bleed effect. It just, say if it starts with a specific distinction, this is toxic masculinity, people try to just blur the lines. So that more and more and more and more and more more people can be included in it. You, I saw this and I was speaking about this. I think it was my friend Katie the other day. This happened with the me too movement as well. Okay. So when the me too movement first started, it was because of the, the rape and the the murder of um, Sarah Everhard that, that was kind of the, the, the catalyst for it. And that was, that was the start of it. It was for women that had been either violently assaulted, so whether it was a domestic abuse.
0: Mm. I or, think it was like Harvey Weinstein case was quite prevalent around that time as well. Yeah. Like abuse of power and things like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it was it was things that were very serious that started it. Mm. And it just kind of got filtered over and over and over and over. And it's almost like reductive to the original cause because it just gets so diluted by other people that want to be able to say I'm part of that as well, mm. that you had people where it'd be like, somebody whistled at me in the street. And for me, I'm like, from where it started, the severity of the issues that were actually prevalent that started the movement down to being whistled at in the street. It's mm. not, it, it's not yeah, comparable. It's not comparable.
0: I, I would probably say like, probably both unacceptable. I don't know how I'd feel with my daughter being whistled out in the street. Yeah,
1: but, yeah I, I get that. But I'm, and I'm not saying that to be diminutive to someone that's been whistled out in the street. No, no, no. no, no. Today, nothing, I know. Mean, nothing bad is yeah, from that. It's not the
0: same. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas for
1: me, what I would like is if something that is targeting something that is that serious.
0: Oh, heinous, yeah.
1: If you want to put energy into helping that cause, that doesn't mean that you need to be part of it in a personal link mm-hmm. to push yeah. that cause forward. But if everybody that wanted to be part of it did that, big causes, important causes like that would have a lot more impact. Yeah, Whereas, it, it again, with sense. toxic masculinity, it's been the same thing. It started mm. and it's a very specific thing, but then it's just the lines have been blurred and all men kind of get roped into it. Because, yeah. again, this is a conversation that I've had untold times through Instagram when I've seen it on pages and I've challenged something and it's been a case where somebody has said it's not all men, whether it's to do with sexual assault, et cetera, say it's not all men. And then the women start and it's, you can't say that.
2: Yeah,
0: it's a tricky one because the other thing to accept and acknowledge is unfortunately social media is an utter shit place to (laughs) have any kind of debate. Yeah. Anywhere because I've never seen it with my own eyes. Someone may tell me different. I've never seen someone go, Do you know what? You're right. I was wrong about that. Like, no one does that. It's all about preserving their own ego. And people yeah. spend hours on Google, and depending on how much time, energy investment, you know, you can lose yourself to that if you allow yourself to. Because that, that's the interesting thing. And I think um when we are having conversations about this stuff, especially online and to the point, kind of what you discussed there, when maybe not all men, because not all men is. Uh, kind of taking the piss out of quite a lot but when there are conversations about men which just by the premise of having a conversation about it opens the door for men to participate in that and sometimes you know it's happened to me on a couple of occasions where um people have made broad generalizations and I'm always cautious not to comment you know depending on if you're someone I know really well if you're someone I know well I'll, I'll DM them you know but occasionally when I have commented and um someone's turned around to me say well oh, look he's mansplaining it's like well <laughs> no it's not it's actually like i thought but anyway like you kind of know where the conversation is going to go from
1: there but that, that's that's another another example of how men get shut down yeah you're not allowed to be part of this discussion
0: well i mean yeah in some cases men are mansplaining maybe breaking it down being patronizing but in certain cases men actually want to contribute be part of the conversation because they want to better represent themselves and also if there's a misunderstanding they want to know where that misunderstanding comes from right
2: mm-hmm
0: so um, when you're talking about that, I straight away thought of influencers and actually this rise of virtue signaling. And don't get me wrong, I think certain cases, there is a need for people to speak about a little bit more. And I think with many other things, we have plenty of awareness about them anyway. But that's a whole other topic. But I think with influencers with so many people following, I've got a million followers whatsoever whatever if they really care about that cause so as not to diminish the plight of actually people that are experiencing it and make it about themselves they are given the perfect opportunity to elevate the people that are actually doing the work within those causes yeah I, th- I find that's often a tell especially when it comes to things like body positivity um well i say body positivity that's a prime example because you have people which aren't too far away from like body ideals, or have used their yeah. body to market a certain service with that but men does it look
1: like this Also look like this.
0: Yeah, also twisting, like- contorting themselves to like find a, a little little bit of skin maybe, and go, I'm just like everyone else. When actually, there are people doing real work out there that are more representative of people from those <laughs> those sectors that. If you've got a platform and you've got a million followers that is your opportunity like lift that voice up present the work that they're doing yeah uh, yeah that's that's always an interesting tell and exactly the same with this is if, you, if you're not an expert on a subject find an expert that is if you have reach if you have influence is is putting the best people out there to if you care that is yeah. if you care that much about the message that you say you do and um with this thing about the way we pathologize everything now you know it's like if you experience sadness you're depressed whereas as someone that has experienced depression in their adult lives is it's really reductive and almost almost quite I guess insulting when yeah. someone says that and use these words so flippantly but like most of the things in our language things get so ingrained people it's just a slip of the tongue people just say them even if they don't mean them well, don't know, know what they mean
1: Everything just everything's just been reduced down, hasn't it? You know, if somebody's sad, they're depressed. If somebody feels a bit nervous, they've got anxiety. Yeah. If somebody feels anxious, they've got anxiety. You know, because people just conflate anything that can be given that turn. You know, like when people say things like, "Oh, I don't know, when I need to go somewhere, it gives me anxiety." What the fuck do you mean? It gives you anxiety. You either have it or you do not have it. Mm-hmm. You know, or people say, "Oh, I'm so um, I'm so OCD." With such a thing, it's like OCD is a really serious, debilitating condition that some people are unfortunate enough to have. It's not. It doesn't mean that you like things to be a certain way. Like some people, some people messaged me the other day. My friend Rosie, um, when she was staying at mine over the weekend, posted a video of me where I was explaining how how much it bugs me and the cutlery drawer isn't right. It's a weird thing that I've got. I don't know why I am the way I am, but it's just it just irks me when I open it and like shit's just everywhere. And like we were having a laugh about it. For some people, a message would be like, "Oh my god, you've got all CDs." So, bad. I was just like, I don't. I'm just quite particular with that one thing.
2: Yeah, I was like, yeah.
1: But outside of that, I don't have a really serious need for everything in my wardrobe to be a certain way. If I'm leaving the house, I can just pick up my keys, pick up the shit that I need, and leave. Mm. people with OCD, they've got very serious routines and and, and things that they need to go through the habitual patterns of behaviour that they have to go through and if they mess it up halfway through they've got to stop and start again and they won't leave the house until they've done that, people just don't get it that that is something that it won't stop but it would be great if it would because like what you were saying, if somebody's got a big platform, they've got a million, two million followers that's the sort of person that could take a post that they've seen from an actual expert, someone that's got an awful lot of experience in a particular field, and just share it and say to their following, read this, watch this. It's amazing. It might help an awful lot of people. But instead, they'll see that and they'll think, oh, I can get a lot of play from that. I'm going to say that I kind of suffer with that in a way. And they think up a little story and then they present it as if it's, this is my lived experience. Mm. And I think a lot of it, it's virtue signaling slash sympathy seeking, anything for that additional narcissistic supply.
2: I've
0: heard it referred to as sad fishing. (laughs) Because it's essentially like leveraging people's sympathy, their empathy, like whatever it may be. And unfortunately, I think just with the nature of social media, is the element of it that sets us all up for a bit of self-deception and possibly if you're not self-aware, is it's quite, you can see the allure. You can see how people have this fascination with insta fame much like they have a fascination with celebrity culture whereas you get all this external validation these little dopamine flashes in your brain just from essentially strangers just admiring you for just being you yeah so people use that they leverage that and people have that as a as a job you know a job as an influencer is I, i know of people that get paid 20 grand for a grid post for an ad so it makes, I, I I understand it. I might not agree with it, but I do understand it. Much the same as people come out of a love island and they're selling like a fitness product.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I get it as well. And at the end of the day, it's marketing. It's a business. If you can make yourself your business, then great. I would just love to see people do it with more integrity. Hmm. Yeah. I think that's the missing link. Honesty and integrity are going off a long way.
2: Yeah. The
0: a- integrity has become one of those abstract phrases, almost like when people talk about personal values, yeah. they talk about a personal value they associate with themselves, but whether or not they live in line with that is, is something else. They just like, you know, they like the sound of it. Yeah. You know, when people say I've got integrity is, and then you see them in person and they definitely don't <laughs> act yep. in line with the, the apparent in- integrity that they hold dear. You're, you know, obviously met you through your our, inter- our mutual interest in fitness and health where did you decide I've had enough of this fitness malarkey?
1: I'm,
2: I would you say have, to... you've,
0: you've now, I, I know it's been quite a while. So for anyone not listening, that doesn't know you, you, you were, I guess, more of a a, a coach, more from a, a health nutrition training standpoint, yeah. and just which I admire because the humanistic elements are what fascinate me about the job, because without that, you can't do the job anyway, but you've made more of a concerted push to delve into the, the person rather than just the behaviors. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So as, as I am now, everything that I do know is either life coaching or business mentoring. Um, but the, the fitness side of things, I was a fitness coach for 17 years. And then I came to a point and I just, it just, it just wasn't what I wanted to do anymore. I, I, I had just myself personally and professionally, it just evolved beyond that. And I think it was just purely the amount of time that I've been doing it. Mm. Um, because at the point when I stopped, I was still successful, you know, quotation marks again, for the people that can't see us, but like in 2019, that was, that was probably the busiest that I was. And I, I, I maintained between 90 and hundred clients. For the entire year, through into twenty twenty, and then COVID really helped the mm. alter alter that number. Because um, I would I would say throughout throughout lockdowns, through all of them, I probably ended up losing sixty percent mm. of my, my clientele. So even even with sixty percent gone, it wasn't like I was I was in a position where I was destitute. But it was also when when things were getting back to normal. And it was just, a lot of it is people's unwillingness to just accept accountability and personal responsibility for the things that they do consistently. Mm -hmm. You know, it was having to have the conversation with people and saying the reason that you're in this situation is the accumulation of all of the decisions that you've made over the last years, not the last couple of weeks. You know, it's not a month. This is years, maybe even a decade or more of decisions that you've made consistently that have led you to this point. And in order to in order to change something, you have to acknowledge it and accept it to be true. And a lot of people were unwilling to do that. they were still in that mentality of wanting to just shift blame. And one thing that I found when I because I started life coaching, I started my own kind of I would say personal development journey back in 2010. 2014, when I came back to fitness full time, I integrated elements of the life coaching into my service, but it was just in the service it wasn't advertised as a separate thing and after four years of doing that I then felt you know what I'm actually good enough at this to actually charge for it for as a service a standalone service and I started doing that and then in 2022 I'd stopped the fitness coaching and went full-time with life coaching because one thing that I found is that if somebody comes to me with depression somebody comes to me that's suffering with anxiety or agoraphobia anything like that really serious conditions the vast majority of them are at the point of fully committing to whatever it is that needs to be done to get the results that they want, which is one of the reasons why I can help people so much in such a short period of time. And that is one of the things that really drew me to it as my full focus. Mm. Because I was realizing that some people would come to me realistically needed to drop a little bit of body fat. They needed to lose a little bit of weight. It's not that serious. It doesn't require that much of a change to their life. And for some of them, it was taking months and months mm. when it really, really didn't need to. Or some of them would get a little bit of the way there and then they'd start to revert back. And I understood the reasons why and I could explain it to them and articulate it to them, but then they still wouldn't do the work that needed to be done. So far, I haven't experienced that. I've not worked with somebody yet from a mental health perspective, from a life coaching perspective, that's made progress and has then reverted mm. because they have fully committed to it. They've come in and thought, I'm going I'm going to do everything that I can to make this work and it does
0: Mm. I straight away think of that concept creep and naturally how people evolve in coaching as well because a lot of that resonates with me and I think initially when most people get into fitness and I can certainly attest to this it is it's kind of surface level stuff right when you're talking to people about their nutrition and their their training maybe it's, it's more prescriptive it's yeah. le- less about self-exploration it's le- less about having the emotional intelligence to help people open up and explore these ideas of themselves and the further you get down the line and you are working with people that they've done that stuff you know that they're actually looking at longer-term behavior change. It's not just a case of short-term adherence to get a result yeah that they're looking at changing their lives right and there are elements of that because if you get to know someone and one of my frustrations at the moment, I, I think like, coaching has just been this interchangeably used word quite often because a lot of people that will say they're coaching it's more, you know, if you're working with, and this is, this is, look, everyone's on a different part of their journey. Everyone delivers services in a different way. But I would argue that it's almost a delivered product, especially when you're working with like, thousands of people is, yeah, you can't get to know those people. And that's not a slight on the people delivering it. It's just coaching is not what that is. Yeah. You know? That isn't
1: a service. It's a product.
0: Yeah, it's a product, absolutely. So when people say, "Oh, you know, this this coaching service," and you actually look at the service within that, there is no service. It's just prescriptive. So I I know over the years, my idea of coaching has changed. You know, because when you do work as closely with people, is you know, for a point of self-preservation, is you can't work with those numbers because you can't give yourself over to that. You know, delivering to that much. How you deliver that? Like, there's there's obviously grey area in between, but. I think the interesting thing in fitness and health coaching, as I see it now, is that everyone's using coaching
1: mm-hmm. and not
0: everyone is actually delivering coaching.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. Which, I, you know, I guess that's what kind of you recognize in, you know, how things were evolving to the point you said, if I'm working with people that want to change for good, about inherent, deep, ingrained things, thoughts, behaviors, feelings of themselves, it needs to be more than just, here's your macros, there's your three-day split, etc. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and it's the way in which people can change when they when they really, really need to is mm-hmm. unbelievable. I uh, I worked with I worked with someone last year and he came to me and one of his primary issues was he had a binge eating disorder. And he'd had it since he was a child. It's mid thirties now. So it was it was a long, long time that it had been in place. And we were discussing it on the consultation call. And then we kind of really went into it, and I told him where I think it had come from, you know, what why why it had started when it started, and then broke down the 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 process of the solution of, of of getting over it, so to speak. And then we started, and then our next call was six days later, so our official first session was six days later, and then started the call and I was just like, "How are you?" And he went, "Mate, I've been like a fucking different man." I don't know what you did on that consultation call. It said, but I've not binge once. Mm. I like, and I have absolutely no desire to. And he didn't. And after that, he went to he went to a garden party, which would normally be the kind of thing that he would avoid at all costs because he knew this what you know what was going to happen. Went, had a great time. Mm. And it was when someone is is fully committed to changing something, they are so receptive to everything mm. that you're going to deliver to them that it genuinely has a huge impact. Whereas I think one of the issues that I've found with a lot of fitness coaching is people would come to you and they wanted the results, but they didn't want the journey. They wanted the results, but they don't want to have to make anything that they deem deemed to be a sacrifice. Mm. And, and it is, just doesn't work.
0: Do you think part of that's like a, a cultural amongst the fitness industry failing in that, essentially people are sold the outcome all the time, Like the journey isn't really focused on, I don't think mm. broadly. So it's, like,
1: it's like selling a holiday, isn't it? When yeah. most people are selling coaching, you know, yeah. th- when, you, when you go on to any website where it's selling a holiday, they sell you the pool, the beach bar, the, you know, the beach, the restaurants, the room. They don't sell you the checking in. They don't sell you the line of security. How long are you going to
0: have to save for that luxury holiday?
1: <laughs> yeah, they don't they don't sell you sitting on the tarmac for an hour whilst you're waiting for the planes to get out of the way or the flight or the crying kid on the plane. You know, they just deliver the end result like this is where you're going to end up Mm. we know that all of the shit in between has to happen the Mm. risk of losing your luggage etc but you just focus on the end goal um and i think it's accumulative across both sides so you've it's not necessarily the extreme of competing and the extreme of like haze and things like that but i do think it's an amalgamation of different sides of the spectrum because yeah. you've got some people that are saying, if you want to get into peak physical condition, you need to be willing to sacrifice everything, which yes, if you want to get into peak physical condition, you do. But at the same time, you can't get in shape and just eat your cake and have it too. Mm. It doesn't yeah. work like that. Yeah. But there's, there's too many people trying to sell both sides. There's too many people saying, yeah, you can carry on eating cake and you can still get in shape. It's mm. like, can you? Like, yes, you can but you have to do it in a very particular way in order to be able to do that. You have to have a very good understanding of caloric density, being able to track your calories, self-awareness, as well as self-control, you know, and that side of it isn't discussed. So even, even from people that sell that element of fitness, they don't sell the whole story. They sell the dream but they don't tell you what you need to actually do to get there because you may have to in order to get to that point where you can just live life, be in shape and still eat the foods that you like. You can't just get to that point. You know that, I know that. Anybody that genuinely understands fitness knows that you have Mm -hmm. to go through a process of learning the basics and mastering the basics so that you can naturally adhere because say like on one day you have slightly higher calories. So I know I know I do this. If I have slightly higher intake on one day, I almost naturally, re- you know, regulate the following day and won't eat quite as much. I'm not conscious of going. Oh, I had some chocolate yesterday. Yeah, you're so more erotic
0: that. about it. Yeah,
1: but it's just you you ebb and flow, and mm-hmm. then over time, if you straighten the line out, you hit the average that you need to be at
0: that's life as well right I think like one of of the things that I often find people experience is this all all or nothing mentality is they have to be all or nothing whereas you know essentially depending on who you're working with any kind of one aspiring to have a life where they can go to barbecues or they can have a couple of drinks out they can have their cake and eat it is it's just the realistic management of their goals in that maybe that's not what you really want and perhaps something I think that is over glorified is balance is a lot of people have these grand ambitious goals and the truth of it is, you can't have balance yeah you you look at olympic athletes and the four-year run-up to one day is things are going to have to fall out of balance because they are aspiring to be their best in that sport you know there are hugely admirable traits and i think this is where everyone starts shitting on each other and their endeavors is we can acknowledge that for a lifestyle person living your life like a bodybuilder isn't healthy but then Absolutely. someone top of their game at bodybuilding they don't want that lifestyle anyway they're, they're trying to be the best at bodybuilding and that yeah. is why they're doing what they're doing yeah so it's interesting that this conversation comes around empathy compassion and understanding yet either side fall on their faces when it comes to that
1: yeah, is yeah you've, got
0: to you've got to have I, empathy and understanding for those individuals
1: one thing that i found is that an awful lot of people that talk about um, balance don't have a fucking clue what it is. They just, they, they just don't seem to understand it. Balance doesn't mean 50 50.
2: Hmm.
1: Balance is 80 20. Balance can be 90 10. You know, it can be 45. It, it, it just, it just, it doesn't. You know what? I'll use me as an example. One thing that people like to talk about work life balance. Right. And one of the biggest flaws that I think that people have when it comes to work-life balance is trying to achieve it on a day-to-day basis or they try and achieve it week-to-week. So for me, I have no interest in balance right now with work and life. So what I'm doing is I've purposely committed to working disproportionately for the next 20 years. And the reason why I'm going to do that is because if I work disproportionately for the next 20 years, that will mean that for the remaining years of my life, I can rest disproportionately if I choose to. So I will achieve the work-life balance of my life over my lifetime. You know, and yet some people could go, yeah, but you might die in 10 years. Yeah, and if I do, then I'm not going to give a shit anyway because I'm not going to be here.
0: (laughs) Very good point. Very good point.
1: But I'm also not going to live as if I'm going to die tomorrow. Mm. So I'm going to work disproportionately because I also know that the standard of life that I can provide for myself my partner, my kids, and future family members is going to be vastly better if I do that than if I try to be balanced on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. So I don't have any interest in work-life balance. When it comes to me dieting, I don't have an interest in balance. I don't care about how much cake I can eat. I don't care about being able to have a piece of chocolate or a packet of crisps every night. You know, I absolutely love ice cream. I love ice cream. I don't give a shit about having ice cream when I'm dieting because I'm not, I'm dieting now. Yeah. You know? And for me, a diet isn't supposed to be sustainable. A diet is supposed to be maintainable whilst it's needed. And then afterwards you work on creating the sustainability around the body that you want to maintain after the diet diets are supposed to be effective. I would rather diet for 10 weeks and do the job than diet for a year. And it take that long to do the job. Yes the diet won't be as harsh but I'm I'm having to diet for a lot longer so I'm having to navigate life differently for a much longer period of time
2: mm.
1: whereas if I diet harshly for 10 weeks and then focus on maintaining what I achieve or close to over the next 10 weeks I'm going to achieve that maintenance mm. so 20 weeks and then the rest of the year is just spent living life
0: Yeah so and I that's, think that's your justifiable reason and that's absolutely fine I think I think it's when this I don't know whether it's a belief or an expectation that everyone needs to think and believe exactly what we do if you have an awareness of your broader picture your bigger picture is it doesn't matter what anyone else is doing you know and for some people that is living aligned with you for some people it just might be the uncomfortable acceptance that maybe they don't want to get as lean as they possibly want to but that's fine as well. But it's it's just managing those expectations.
1: Yeah, I think it's more, it's it's not that the other ways of doing things are wrong. Mm. It's just that there's other ways of doing things. And this other way might be better for you as an individual. You know, so like when I said that I don't give a shit about work-life balance, this is the way that I'm going to achieve it. The reason why I said I I, and I (laughs) is because I mean, it's indicative of just me. That isn't me saying, this is the way that other people should do it. But I also feel that a lot of people through social media and probably, as you said earlier, people pathologize everything. I think people naturally hear somebody say, this is how I do it. And then hear, this is how everybody should do this.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good point. Yeah. I think that is exactly it. And there's a responsibility. I think there's obviously there's, I think responsibility in terms of being a creator, but then the understanding when you create certain content is that you're speaking to a certain individual. So if that doesn't fit someone else's narrative, that's fine. So it's, it's this whole, the interesting thing about that, what I was saying about the um, being less empathetic and less compassionate is that we're also quite judgmental of how others are leading their lives. And if others aren't leading their lives how you would, that's fine as well. It's when we have to vocalize that. Because often people are saying, I, I, me, me. But we do have a smaller little demographic that say, I do this, you should do that. That's the issue. And I think people should have an issue with that. You yeah. know, so if I'm getting up at 3 a.m., I'm going for a 10 mile run, and then I'm coming back, I'm sitting on a cold cold plunge for two hours and telling you should meditate for an hour. And you're like, fucking hell, I've got the kids to get ready for school. I actually want to get my. <laughs> and just see who's that?
1: Coach <laughs> job, he's come to uh, visit.
0: <laughs> I've had to put Daisy outside. She's got a cone on her head. Otherwise, she'd be wanting to get on my nap. Um, sorry, I lost my child. I thought there. What was I saying?
1: Talking about people saying, you know, like, fuck, I've got the kids to get ready. I've got... Yeah, yeah. so if you are
0: comparing your life to that individual telling you you should lead your life that way is you will feel like a failure, but that's more indicative of the sort of individual that you're following. Therefore, that is your cue, unfollow or mute. You know, that is not the, the message for you. Whereas if you're speaking to someone a bit more considered, a bit more nuanced saying, this is what I do, but this is how you could do it. That's very different. You can choose what to take from that information.
1: Yeah. I mean, and also... Uh somebody doesn't have to do that in order for us to be able to view their content in that way. Because I've had some of my content that I've posted and I've had somebody message me and say I don't agree with this. And I was just like, That's fine.
0: Oh, mm.
1: well, you messaged uh, me before. But but they they, 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 <laughs> they, they, know, they expected an that. argument. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, They expected me to fight my case. Yeah. And I was just like, That's fine.
2: Yeah. Like,
1: Cause i like, because I just don't agree that everybody should live at like that. I was like, correct. Yeah. Like, you could tell she was a bit like, "Oh shit." Um, well,
0: <laughs> just save oh, myself, save myself, and you two hours today. Yeah, back so, to so
1: it was kind of like, "Okay, man. Bye. Yeah. Enjoy." That's because this is
0: mutual respect as well. It's you, yeah. We we have we've had conversations in the inbox where you've gone, "I don't agree with that," and I've gone, "Okay, that's cool."
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's. I think that's something that's lost as well. People have become so polarized these days, and. I think a lot of it has been purposely driven as well. Okay. But it's almost like if you don't agree with my stance on this particular thing, we can't,
2: we can't coexist.
1: But I've seen people use, and this is a phrase that I love. If you disagree with this, you are part of the problem. And I've seen that being used in different things, in different contexts Mm. where it's so, the, the, the line is so narrow it's like this is exactly how this huge social issue exists and if you disagree with my opinion on this then you're part of the problem yeah or
0: silence silence is violence is the other one i've heard yeah
1: Yeah. but uh, the funniest thing is silence is violence but then people that say things like that will use that kind of phrasing to shut down any kind of open discourse that you can have about a topic
2: yeah
1: because they also do that about other things you know if it's a if it's deemed to be a feminist issue, men can't talk about it because you've no lived experience. If it's a a race issue, white people can't talk about it because you've no lived experience with it. And Everybody's trying to shut everybody else down Mm. and it just doesn't work. You know,
0: if we want people to have open conversations and if people are as progressive as they claim to be, that means involving people in these conversations. You can't just give one side of... Not even the argument, just one side of of the viewer opinion is. I'm sure I've said many ignorant things over the years, but if someone was to say, "Actually, if you thought about this way," I'd, I'd be really receptive to it. Yeah. But if instead of that, you're labelling me as ignorant, I know I have just by my own admission, or you're shutting me down, saying I'm like phobic or I'm stupid or you know some sort of label like that, when I've been receptive to taking on feedback, is like I'm not going to engage in that. And that. You know that almost brings us full circle into people feeling a bit more withdrawn feeling like it's not safe to have these conversations out loud whereas I'd like to think is if I don't know about something even if my question is a bit ignorant I should be able to ask that question so I can get clarity on it that's how we learn yeah. right you know and that's yeah. one of the biggest things about council culture now is I don't believe in council culture I, I think it's I, I think if I'm going to use the word toxic which I'm not a fan of that is quite toxic because People don't have the ability to say, I'm sorry. And there's, there's certain circumstances where someone's committed a heinous crime. You can't defend everything. But if yeah, someone okay. said something slightly off key or it's reflective of the time or society at that time, and they're willing to take it on the chin and just say, do you know, what? I apologize for that. I want to do better. Tell me how. They should be given that chance.
1: Yeah, that's, that's one thing that I would never do. What's that? If, if if something from my past, something that I'd said uh, oh, five years ago, eight years ago, whatever, was dragged up and said oh you said this and it's insensitive to this social group etc. It's probably a social group that didn't even exist eight years ago, but you know something from the past is now offensive to a current group, you know, and it was deemed that I should apologise for it. I wouldn't. Hmm. And one of the reasons why I wouldn't is because the people that do engage in cancel culture see that as a weakness, and as soon as you apologise, that is when they strike hardest. And well, I been... think it
0: then gives gives people uh potentially the door to to have a further deal with round. And then you hear these conversations where people are prying into things they have no business in. And, you know, it dep- I guess it depends on the context, right? And what's said, I don't, don't get me wrong. I think as a very ignorant, and I'm going to make a careful admission here, but I'm going to say it anyway, because it's the truth, is I grew up loving hip hop, right? Mm-hmm. So when I was first introduced to hip-hop at 9, 10, I would have probably sung along to lyrics that I had no understanding of. Mm-hmm. That doesn't inherently make me racist because I use certain words. Well, at that time, I was just ignorant. I just sang along to the song. I wouldn't use those words now. And if smartphones existed then and people took a video of that, I wouldn't apologize. I'd explain exactly how I am now. It's like It's just reflective of the time. It's not because... If there was any uh, malicious intent there, or I meant it in derogatory terms. It was just, I was just saying words because I didn't really know the de- depth and understanding of them. Yeah. We live and we learn, but i make you right in that regard.
1: Yeah, because even that's interesting. You know, the fact it's the control of language. Mm. And that's one of the most important things. The fact, I think I posted about that in my last Q&A on Instagram. Um, you know, somebody asked if you could, if you could learn one skill not meaning me, but if I if I was to advise other people to master one particular skill that would help them in many areas of life, what would that be? And I said, it would be language. You know, the ability to articulate your thoughts and your feelings is one of the most important attributes that a person can have. One of the things that I do find with a lot of clients, a lot of men in the MSN, and a lot of people that I speak to in, on Instagram, TikTok, et cetera, is I can articulate things that they think and feel better than they can. So they'll give me a gist of what they're experiencing, and then I'll articulate it in the way that I would. And they go, "That's perfect. You've just said it better than I could." And people that can't articulate their thoughts and feelings are trapped. It's like you're trapped in here. You can think it, you can feel it, but you can't express it to someone to then hopefully get the help that you actually need.
0: Yeah, I feel like we could have a whole separate conversation. By the way, the time has flown. I hadn't even—I've re- just glanced. Yeah, at the first time. We could just talk forever. But the, I inter- keep saying interesting, the fascinating, just to use a different word, thing about that is often with this strength in speaking narrative, and I speak about this quite often, I guess, because it's, people don't have the skill set, and that's not a slight on them, is if you're brought up, or maybe you've never made a concerted effort to expand your communication skills, or, you know, delve into the emotional granularity of being able to pinpoint exactly what you're experiencing, and how you're feeling. Sometimes you do need a bit of help, you mm-hmm. know, but the, wonderful thing about that is like any other skill is the more you practice it the better you get at it so with this pressure I guess to strengthen speaking is a lot of people just don't have those skills I don't think that's an inherently male thing is people don't always have the the ability to carefully articulate exactly what they're experiencing at any one time so that manifests itself in certain behaviors or they will just use different words you know I mean you ask people to pinpoint how many emotions they feel they'll probably go happy sad angry uh, but then yeah. when you look at like Plutchik's emotional wheel, when you realize the depth of those things, like shame, humiliation, disappointment, all these other things that it could be when people have those tools at their disposal. Yeah. That, you know, that makes things a bit easier, but we shouldn't just expect people to have these skills if they've never been taught them or they've never made a conscious effort to learn them. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about your men's group, please? Cause I am conscious of your valuable and precious time.
1: Uh, yeah. It's, so the, the male support network is something that I started um, towards the back end of last year. I lost one of my friends to suicide in the end of the September. Um, yeah, to that. And it was just something that I thought, you know, like one of my friends, Victor, actually posted a question on a Q&A that I did back then. And he said, what, what is going to be done about the state of men's mental health? Because at the moment, there is nowhere near enough that's being done. And I know I've spoken with him before, and I'd spoken prior to that about the fact that a lot of the so-called mental health and and psychology approaches that you see in social media that are aimed at men aren't aren't for men. It just it, it's not speaking to men in the way that men need to be spoken to. That's one of the reasons that Jordan Peterson grew, you know, the acclaim that he did so quickly because it was a man speaking to men in the way that men needed to be spoken to. And it's one of the reasons why Jocko Willing he's as popular as he is. You know, people like Andy Frisella, Andrew Tate, Tristan Tate, you know, obviously there's negative connotations with those two now because of everything that's going on at the moment. But if you if you look at them in the macro and not just in the micro of these little slivers of specific content that has been shown, you realise that the things that they say to men in the in the the majority of what they preach is actually things that men do need to hear.
0: Mm. Just a little bit of pushback on the, on <laughs> those two individuals, just because. Just I, I have my own thoughts on it. I think it's not um, everything they say can be taken on board. I'm not saying, suggesting you're saying that. Certainly, there probably are elements of truth, but I think um, the broader problem, which I kind of spoke to you about on DMs, is why men feel they need to turn to these individuals that are speaking up for them, because many others don't appear mm-hmm. to be is the biggest problem i think yeah. which you know we can pinpoint who said what and why they said it and i don't i kind of think those like irrelevant details but exactly to your point which i agree with i think it's possibly the language that's used and the way things are communicated just doesn't speak to men and that this crossroad in which they have a pull from society to be a certain way a push from the broadest part of society which has always provided comfort for them which mm-hmm. some of society deem as less helpful a- attributes why should i move away from what's comfortable why should i change because there aren't any real pioneering male voices out there. Pot- potentially, I say none, there are, that's a lie. There are, of course, there are, but I, I guess the ones that are getting the most exposure tend to be the most polarized within that. So we can take caveats and elements of things they may have said that's a bit helpful, but as you say, it's the most extreme ends, probably the most, uh, some instances, disagreeable ends that are polarized and they are the clips that go viral. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, because that's the thing I've I've always said I'm not I'm not one of these people that say I agree with everything that is said mm. because I don't and it's it's as simple as that I don't agree with everything that is said but the problem is is that there's other people that I I don't like that have said things and I've gone completely right
2: mm. yeah, so yeah. because
1: I dislike that individual yeah but whether it's as a person whether I know them personally or whether it's just I've seen such an array of their content that I've disagreed with if they then say something that is truthful that is helpful i will still say it's correct it's helpful for people to hear it just depends on who's delivering it but the purpose of the the male support network was after i posted um, my replies to victor about men's mental health and the way that things are and how bad things actually are for men Mm. overall in society like certainly when it comes to things like family court and things like that custody to children even even when it's just suicide deaths in the workplace, things like that, where it's the it's massively skewed towards men, where it's like deaths in the workplace, 99% male. You know, suicide is majority men. It's like plus 80% at the moment or just less than 80% at the moment. Um, and I was talking about those statistics in the replies to my friend Victor's question. And every man that replied to it, every male that replied to it, were like, I really needed to see this. This is amazing. Like, it's so on point. There's so many things here that I wasn't aware of, but kind of almost, they they didn't know, but they kind of knew, if you know what I mean. Mm. They'd never been told, but they had a a feeling about it. Again,
0: just maybe just couldn't articulate.
1: Yeah. And every single woman that responded to them all turned the conversation to themselves and women. Mm. Every single one. And I was just like, I'm trying to talk about men's mental health and the fact that more needs to be done for it and every woman that came to me was saying yeah but what about women yeah but men do bad things to women yeah but x y and z and everything was of a a negative towards men to steer the conversation back towards women yeah and it was at that point that i was like i need to do something in a in a larger scale
2: to provide an area somewhere for men to
1: go to so they can be around men, so that they can articulate their thoughts and feelings in an environment where they're actually safe, where they're not going to be told, you can't think that because, because of X, Y, and Z reasons.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because unconsciously, we, we can talk about things in equal measure without making it a whataboutism. But like there are plenty of important issues in the world, you know. So if I'm talking about, and I've, I've had it once or twice before when I've been talking about mal body image and someone's you know expressed huh well women have had it worse for longer I I, I can I can accept that I can acknowledge that that's not what I'm saying here but at the moment this is this is the point I'm talking about you know because I'm talking about this doesn't mean I don't give a shit about Ukraine you know and all these other things is everyone's trying to pull it away from what it is and I think again it's just having that healthy level of skepticism and that self-awareness in that that's not important to me but that's important to that individual they can talk about that I don't need to make that about me you know yeah. we're, we're not the center of everyone else's universe <laughs> yeah. they can yeah. talk about that talk it, topic topic because it's important
1: that was actually something that i ended up saying to one woman because she messaged me and said oh like why are you only doing one for men what about women why don't you care about women's mental health and i just said to her i was just like you start one <laughs> she's like yeah. what do you mean i was just like if you care about women's mental health so much she said you start your own
2: yeah
0: because you care about men's great. mental health doesn't mean you don't care about women's
1: mental health. Exactly, and I work with a lot of women. Mm. In my life coaching, I have worked with a lot of women, ranging mm. from 18 all the way up to in the 60s. I've worked with an awful lot of women, helping them with a lot of different issues. It's, I But I think that is that again comes to the lens to the point that I made about polarisation. Because I'm seen to be doing something for men's mental health, that automatically means that I mustn't care about women's mental health. Mm. Almost like people have lost the the ability to conceive that someone can care about more than one thing at once.
2: Yeah, crazy. But at
1: the same time, you raise Ukraine. There's too many things to care about for every for everybody to care. Oh, about. we,
0: you know, we wouldn't leave the house. We would all literally, and I'm I'm careful the use of this word, is we would all be depressed if we cared equally about every tragedy in the world is you wouldn't go anywhere you would you just stay at home of course you would yeah i that brings something to the forefront of my mind and is you i imagine you're aware of him it's a socialist theorist Uh, i forget his first name hall and it always it always comes to mind when i think about social media and much of his work revolves around this encoding and decoding process which is the encoding process when I put my intentions, my message, however I communicate that out to the world is, I have intent behind that, right? My interpretation, that is what I intend for you. Whereas communication often happens on the terms of the listener. So you have your decoding process. So regardless of what I mean, or even regardless of what I said, you know, when people just extrapolate phrases that you've said or assumptions you've made that are not even there, you have your decoding process. And that decoding process off the basis of, the narrative you fed yourself, the biases that you had, your lifetime, all of these other things that feed into that. So there's having that understanding for it and that tolerance for it, but also there's a tolerance that only goes up to a certain point. (laughs) You're constantly being misunderstood. Maybe that is a reflection on how you're communicating things, but if it's constantly being misunderstood by the same individual, maybe it's that individual, but there is always this encoding and decoding process that's going on, especially with social media. As you say, like, if you're talking about men's health, you don't put in in the small print, I don't give a shit about women, which is (laughs) possibly by the sounds of it the assumption that a couple of people have made. Mate, thank you so much for your time, Andy. I'm conscious of that. And I, you know, I appreciate you. If people wanted to find out a little bit more about you, what you're doing, the men's group, especially, where would they go, please?
1: Um, Instagram would be the best place. So my Instagram handle is Andrew Keeler underscore EBD. And the Mail Support Network is just the Mail Support Network.
0: And is that just a click in your bio to find the pathway to that? Yes. Yes. Excellent. Thank you, sir. To those that have listened, if you do rate this, you do like it, do that thing on social media, share with your friends, tell other people. That is the only way it hits other people's ear holes. Thank you so much.